This is The Ziggler Show, episode 438, and today I have something a bit different for you. We're going to look at two things. One, we're going to look at Zig Ziglar and how we can, I think, better relate to him and what we can learn and aspire to from his example, but not from, as normal, what he says from the stage or the pages of a book, but from how he lived, because we've got an insider with us today, his youngest daughter, Julie Ziegler Norman. Uh, and our second focus is her specific message as a sought after speaker, presenter, and author who lived a lifetime uh, with a uh, lot and alongside her father, Zig. So this is going to be an eye opening discussion. what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind. You can change what you are. You can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. You cannot become what you need to be by remaining what you are. If you can't take a huge step to begin with, take as big a step as you can, but take it now. That's the key. Take it now. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Today is a brand new day, and it's yours. Well, folks, today's show is brought to you by Prime Properties Realty. The Dallas-Fort Worth area is one of the hottest real estate investment areas in the nation. They specialize in helping investors build wealth through commercial, multifamily, and residential real estate investments. So anyone can go check out their opportunities at dfwturnkey.com. DFW, like Dallas-Fort Worth, turnkey.com. But more specifically, they have an event coming up called Women Building Wealth Through Commercial, Multifamily, and Residential Real Estate Investment Seminar. It's from 9 a.m. to noon on Saturday, December 3rd, 2016 at the Ziegler Inc. headquarters. So why are they at the Ziegler headquarters? Well, because it's not only a phenomenal investment opportunity that you should check into, but a chief leader with Prime Properties Realty is our guest today, Julie Ziegler Norman. Uh, again, go check it out at dfwturnkey.com. And as we're talking about inspiration today and messages of legacy and Zig Ziegler and Julie's message, um, I'm also going to ask her how she got into real estate and why that is a focus of hers as she seeks to inspire true performance in others. Okay, so folks, this is going to be an insightful show. You are used to hearing from Tom Ziegler often. He's the CEO of Ziegler and often my co-host here on The Ziegler Show. And his experience of his dad, Zig Ziegler, is different than Julie, who we have today. Julie's nine and a half years older. She has different insights that I believe will open your eyes to the man and the father and the human that Zig was, a guy who I think you'll better be able to relate to after listening to today's show. So who is Julie if you don't know her? So Julie Ziegler Norman, she's the daughter of Zig and worked for 20 years as his personal editor. She has a background in the service industry, sales and business management. She's become a respected international inspirational speaker. As her famous father once did, Julie has shared the platform with greats like General Colin Powell, Rudy Giuliani, President George W. Bush, Laura Bush, Howard Putnam, Joe Montana, Lou Holtz, Steve Forbes, Sarah Palin, Goldie Hawn, many others. So she lives in Texas, continuing the legacy of Ziegler, 
and encouragement. And through her keynote speaking, through her book, she's got a book called Growing Up Ziggler, A Daughter's Broken Journey from Heartache to Hope, which I'm going to ask her about here in just a moment. Uh, Ziggler Legacy Certification Training. She's one of the primary leaders there. Ziggler Principle-Based Life Coaching she participates in. And she also helps men and women build financial security through commercial, multifamily, and single-family real estate, which you heard briefly about as a sponsor of today's show with Prime Properties Realty in the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas. So you can find out more, connect with Julie at Julie, J-U-L-I-E, ZieglerNorman.com. All right, well, here then I bring you Julie Ziegler Norman. Well, Julie, I revived and have been hosting the Ziegler show for exactly two years and two days as of right this moment. And how I failed to have you on the show thus far, I just, I have no excuse for. I'm just grateful to have you here now. Well, thank you. I was wondering when we were going to get together, Kevin. <laughs> well, I was just trying to really save the best till till later on in the show here. They've had plenty of Tom. Now they need the good stuff, right? Exactly. Okay. I'm in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I want to use the time today to understand some of the aspects of your dad, Zig, that I believe will help people further be able just to embrace the Ziegler principles and really relate uh, to him and to this message that you and I are both involved in. But then I also want to dig into your personal calling and platform and message. And, and on that, the front page of your website, which is juliezieglernorman.com, you lead off with this statement. I'm going to read it right off there. It says, to succeed, you must be the kind of person people want to do business with. In far too many cases, individuals focus all their attention on marketing the product or service they provide when their time would be far better off spent learning how to be the right person. And in reading that and really just kind of taking it, uh, uh, taking it in, in fullness, I also thought that we have the propensity to also just focus our, our attention on what we can do and what we can offer, our experience, our skills, our abilities that we bring to the table. But it feels like you're calling us to who we, who we be, who we are. And does this, does this primarily just start by reframing our efforts on the health of the relationships that we have with those around us, that that's the priority? It does. And, and Kevin, I believe it goes back to a thing that my father learned very, very early from um, the men he worked with in the grocery store. Mr. Walter Haining taught him that you cannot do good business with a bad man. If you are not the kind of person that people want to do business with, it doesn't matter how good your marketing is, how good your website is, how good a speaker you are. When they find out that you are not who you represent yourself to be, that you are not an honest person of integrity, and that they don't want to do business with you, all of that money and effort that's put into building a business goes down the drain. If you do not have integrity, uh, relationships, when loss, trust is lost, just go south. So you, if, unless you are the right kind of person, you are going to have to recreate yourself over and over and over again. I have watched my father observe individuals who never caught on to the fact that they had to be the right kind of person before they could be successful. They would um, get started, then offend, 
then harm, uh, mislead, and hurt people, and then be shocked when they lost their business and had to start over. Some of the smartest people ever have not done well because they just thought they had to take shortcuts and con folks in to things that weren't altogether true. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. So you can't do business with a bad man. And I, I recall, and it could have been a year ago talking about that statement in one of the shows. And it really resonated with me, Julie, because uh, I mean, obviously there's no perfect people. Okay. So we can't, if if we, if we're only looking for perfect people to work with, we're, we're not going to get any, um, but looking at, uh, well, I'll tell you, I have experience even in latter years and, and maybe even latter months t- to a degree of working with some people who had some great things about them. But there were some primary issues that didn't add up, some primary areas of unhealth. And I had to learn again that, man, if there are things that don't add up, they don't add up. And I think that's hard for us because – when we see people, especially who have specific fruits in certain areas, we want to let that slide. And that sounds good, like giving grace. But when you're talking about, I mean, you're talking about business and relationships. And if I hear you right, you're saying, if you know, if it doesn't add up, it doesn't for yourself or for other people. You've got to have health. You've got to see health if you if you expect success. Yes. And a truly good mentor, someone who really cares about other people, like my father did, will take the time to point out to someone when what they're doing is damaging not only to others, but also to themselves. Um, That is a big thing today. People don't like to be upfront about what they see when someone is not being fully honest and doing things that are decidedly dishonest. Uh, Instead of letting them know that they know what's going on, they just discontinue the relationship. I believe that if, if I believe it's a responsibility we have when we are dealing with someone who's done something dishonest, I believe it's our responsibility to tell them that we're aware of what's happened and uh, talk to them about, stopping that behavior because it's ruining their future and hurting others. I just believe it's responsibility we have. Well, and that feels, it sounds very caring because, uh, you know, that's an aspect of when you have somebody who's has an issue like that, you tend to want to remove yourself from them, but you're showcasing and let's care enough about them to try to help them if they have ears to hear and eyes to see. Exactly. Daddy has had many, many people through the years ask him to endorse their books. Mm. It The hardest thing Daddy ever had to do was tell people that they needed to not publish the book that oh. they had just handed him. After he read it, he would let them know that he believed that in two or three or maybe even five years, they would be really glad that they had waited. Some people uh, wrote before they were mature enough to really have something to offer, other people, he called it I-itis. Uh, every sentence began with I this, I that, I, I, I. And if he counted more than three I's on a page, he would let them know that they just need some more maturing. <laughs> wow. And, and tell them that they needed to work past the I's because people don't want to just read that about them. I, these folks came back to him later and thanked him for being honest and telling them to wait until they were a little more ready and a little more mature. 
So dad was always honest, even when it wasn't uh, the easiest thing. But when you're more mature, you can just see what needs to be done to help somebody with their career. And a lot of times it means not saying, yes, this is, this is good when no, it isn't good. Integrity well, involves being honest. Well, and I know, you know, from my own experience with him that, that the, what made his, what made that, let's call it constructive criticism so palatable was he did it out of love. And I, I think that's the one thing, cause we see, cause I can hear people hearing this and thinking, okay, I need to, you know, I need to call a spade a spade, tell people, call them out, give them constructive criticism when it's <laughs> yeah. relevant. Well, sure. But if you can, you got to, if you don't do it in love, it's just going to be offensive. Right. Yeah. Right. It has, to, it has to be done in love. And he always did do mm-hmm. it that way. Uh, I don't know anybody that became angry and disowned him. They were always grateful for his counsel and input. Well, well, so it's so interesting reading your story and some about you as a child who grew up uh, with a dad like Zig. And you said, I, I, so you wrote this and I'll, I'll read it to you folks. It says, she said, uh, experience has taught me that the majority of people who meet me for the first time have one burning question. What's it like to grow up with Zig Ziglar, the most positive man on the universe for a father. And as you can well imagine growing up, and I love your statement here with the motivators, motivator was different, very different. Sometimes it was just plain weird growing up with dad. Well, I, I appreciated that so much because you, uh, as someone who can often seem, I think, superhuman to others, you make him sound like a regular guy to some degree. Amazing, but he was still human, yeah? Oh, <laughs> dad was definitely human. And that was what everybody loved about him the most. He really was the same at home and other places. He did the things that he told other people to do. One of those things that was a little hard to take as a kid, well, it wasn't hard when I was actually a little child, but as I got older, it became awkward, was dad believed that what you put into your mind is what you get out. And if he could see that any of his children were struggling with anything, Uh, For instance, I struggled with the ability to read. My grades weren't always the highest because in my early years, I just had a hard time with that. And he would come in and while I was asleep, he believed sleep talk was important to put the right thing in. And he would tell me, you know, Julie, little one, you're you're a smart girl. You read so well. And then as I became a preteen and I, we had moved to Dallas and I was having trouble fitting in. I awakened one morning to him whispering, uh, just over my head, little one, you're going to have a great day today. All your friends are going to be so glad to see you. And, um, it, it, I guess it struck me as, as strange because I awakened (laughs) while he was doing it. And I'm like, daddy, (laughs) You know, I was getting pretty old by then, but he really did do the things for us that he told everybody else they should do for their kids. So I believe that it worked. He was um, very, very strongly opposed to us listening to radio when we would go to sleep because he said, you have no control over what you can't put the stop on what's going into your brain. You're, you're, you're hearing, but you can't control your opinions about it. Or if you accept it or reject it, that stuff just goes in. So he didn't want us having uh, influence like that. 
He would never allow us to be hypnotized mm-hmm. or anything that gave anybody power over our minds. Well, so on one hand, I appreciate your testimony now to the value that he gave as a father, but then it also feels like you're giving testimony to the reality that, 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 so me as a father that I'm looking and I have young kids that some of these attempts, uh, they may be weird. It may be weird to my kids, yeah. you know, but I, if I'm there for the long haul and they know that I'm, uh, uh, have some grace with me that we're doing it to, well, you know what, to, to Andy Andrews, who we had on the Ziegler show to his statement that we've repeated so often that if we look at that and, and say, my job is not to raise great kids, it's to raise great adults. And so you're testifying that, okay, you may have to go through some weirdness with your preteen kids on this. <laughs> you might. Right. And let me just say this for uh, parents who have particularly little boys. Uh, it seems to be universal, this little problem. But you can go in and, and talk to your little boys after they go to sleep and tell them they're, that um, just say, you know, I know you just love sleeping in this dry, warm, cozy bed. Oh, and, you know, if you need to, you will wake up and get up to go to the restroom and your bed will be dry and warm and cozy all night long. This was the kind of stuff that uh, dad put in there and the changes came Mm. subliminal. It was beyond subliminal. It was sleep suggestion, I guess. But uh, what you put in is what you get out. Sometimes even when it's your parents doing it at night, (laughs) but (laughs) it was all positive. (laughs) I I appreciate that. Well, so on, on this aspect of, of growing up with uh, the motivators motivator, I, I wonder if people are sometimes surprised the title of your book, Julie, growing up with Ziegler and then the tagline, a daughter's broken journey from heartache to hope. Well, come on, you're Zig's kid. You, you had a broken journey with heartache. How's that happen? Oh, boy, it just happens with uh, one bad choice leading to another. And that's a that's a true downward spiral. And the circumstances are varied for all of us. Most of us have made bad choices at some time or other. Uh, but for me, it was just I, I didn't make the move well from South Carolina to Dallas. And I got involved with the wrong, wrong bunch of folks. And it's a, it's a story that's in my book. But... Uh, I tell people in the beginning of the book, if you're looking for a story here where a daughter disses her dad, this isn't it, because he did everything right. The thing is, all of us, as we get older, have the ability to make our own choices, regardless of what we've been taught, and we do. I see very few parents who don't have at least one child that made choices totally opposite of anything their parents had taught them. So uh, I think I was, people don't expect as many bad choices or as deeply bad choices as I made because I did come from a really nice family. My parents loved me. I was never abused. I was never without. But uh, once I got started down that road, my self-image just failed. And how does Zig Ziglar's kid get a rotten self-image? Well, one bad choice at a time. And then the typical things that affect people like having trouble reading in school and being called dense and, you know, the input others have on your life that aren't your parents and having to overcome those things. But I I just I made that journey and I believe that the journey from a place of heartache to a place of hope and joy 
and love and I was always a positive, hopeful person, um, Kevin, except for the, when I made my worst choices and became depressed as a result. That was something I didn't know how to deal with because positive thinking, positive living was such a part of our lives. I used to joke, we weren't allowed to say negative things. Mm-hmm. So even if I didn't feel well, trying to figure out the positive way to say I didn't feel well. I would say I feel less than good. (laughs) That was that. (laughs) But I decided when I was a kind of a cranky teenager and I was fed up with trying to be positive that I was going to grow up one day and write a book called I'm Positive, I'm Miserable. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. That, well, you know, Julie, I, I, I joke sometimes on the show. So when I was a kid, so you grew up with Zig Ziglar as a dad. I grew up with a dad who was a student of Zig. And so when I would, uh, my uh, behavior attitude would go south, I would often be given the time for an attitude adjustment. And, yes. and I have to listen to Zig tapes. So it's a wonder that I don't, I don't detest the guy today. And I'm here actually uh, being a voice <laughs> of his as well. So I, you know, it's... It, Okay, so so to the parents, so on one hand, that's that testimony is of all the effort that was put into you by your parents to to train you up well, to give you strength, to give you resilience, and all that. And yet, you still had those problems. I could see on one hand that could feel daunting to a parent to go, "Goodness, so all that effort doesn't guarantee me, you know, perfection." My kid, well, right, but then am I correct in saying yes? Yes, but but those things that you went through. There are many others that those experiences, those circumstances would have overcome and that hopefully the roots that you were giving are what helped you be where you are today in overcoming. Everything that was ever put into me is what won out in the end. It really is. I went through I went through the hard times, but the foundation was already in place. The foundation to see what can work instead of what won't work. Uh, the foundation to uh, of uh, well, faith came much later in my life as it did in my father's. I wasn't exposed to it as as a child, particularly. But everything that Dad has always taught really is pretty much my fiber. I do. I mean, I you don't see me without a smile very often. If you do, it's just because I'm concentrating and thinking about something. But I. I feel happy, even even in the midst of grief, you know, having lost dad and my granddaughter and my husband all within 28 months of each other. I know what lies ahead. I know that they are all in a better place. This I know with my heart. I miss them tremendously. But I, I mean, I have had huge moments of joy and laughter through every bit of it, because that's not the only thing happening in my life. Mm. I have great things happening in my life, even when not great things are happening. So I choose to not let the tough things override the good things. Mm-hmm. It's a choice. Your How you perceive stuff is a choice. Well, now, go ahead. Yeah, that's. Well, I, I love that, that what was put into you, is what won out in the end. That feels 
that feels hopeful. I, I did. So on what you talked about, I know it was funny. I'm, I'm positive. I'm miserable that, that some of that, uh, the positive thinking was difficult. Well, I, I thought that was interesting. I mean, I, again, I grew up with a father as a student of Zig and there wasn't uh, negativity in our house, but I also wonder, well, no, I don't wonder. I, I took it too far to where I didn't really have a personal file to voice, think, share, uh, and even understand negative emotions. When I got married, that didn't work out so well because I had a wife who was very free with her emotions and, and also opened me up to, to there is the time to, in an, especially in an intimate, vulnerable relationship, we need the ability to share real feelings. And sometimes they are, hey, I'm, I, I'm hurt by something or I have hurts or doubts or frustrations. So now being where you're at now, where do you see a balance? And yes, we want to be positive and we won't, we don't want to, we don't want to shower any circumstance with just negative stinking thinking, but, but then also there's got to be a place to share true feelings and to share the hardships. Let me say Fred Smith, who was dad's mentor, Mm -hmm. told him that things that are facts are things that you can generally do something about. Um, when you talk, you, you have to ch- determine if it's something you can change or if it's something you can't change. And if it's something that you can change for the better, then you make the decision to do that. And if it's something that's, that's just a fact that is like, say my husband died, I cannot change that. So I have to learn to accept that and move forward. Because to stay in it is to is just to be stopped right there. But the things that aren't right, say, Kevin, if you and I had a disagreement, I would not just walk away and say, he's not going to be my friend anymore. I would want to come to you and see what is the real problem and what we can do to work it out. That's something I can change. I don't have to be frustrated and upset about you and our last exchange, if I come back to you and say, I really want to understand where the misunderstanding is because I don't like this. I don't want us to have this tension between us. But see, a lot of people that feels confrontational. But what it is, is it's caring enough to preserve the relationship. That's why a lot of folks don't have deep, enduring friendships is they're unwilling to do the hard work of relationship building. Okay. And again, folks, here is where your primary platform front page of your website is that that right there is the most important thing. And I want to come, I want to come back to that. I do want to ask something in regards to what you said. You mentioned that your own faith came later in life as did your dad's. And that was one of the most, in, in my friendship with Tom, with your brother, mm-hmm. uh, it was around the campfire up here in my, uh, in my house uh, high up in the Rocky Mountains, where he shared about uh, about Zig coming to the Lord at the age of forty five, uh, I believe is, yeah. is the age, and how he became a broken man, and what how powerful that was in his life. So you even said uh, you said Daddy's nature is to be happy, to look on the bright side, to expect the best. His th- enthusiasm and humor is rock solid. Belief in America being the land of opportunity, and his, and his conviction that integrity had to be the bedrock foundation of our lives set all of us as kids on the path of positive thinking. Um, but you, so Tom though, in his testimony, of course, being nine and a half years younger than you, baby of the family, he 
to some degrees, is my understanding, saw a different zig than what you were privy to seeing. And you saw, I think, some of the zig before the zig we know today, uh, before that conversion even. Did you see him and experience some of that transformation of uh, who he was before (laughs) the big Zig Ziglar we know today? (laughs) Daddy always embraced integrity because his mother and anybody who's listening who's ever heard him speak has probably heard dad quote his mother tell the truth and tell it ever costeth what it will for he who hides the wrong he does does the wrong thing still this was just drilled into daddy from a real early age of the the whole integrity foundation and So he was an honest man who did his best. Uh, He was a great, loving, kind father. But when he became a Christian, I was just shy of being 17 years old. And Daddy got on, uh, he was on fire. The Bible was in his hand all the time. The pages got dog-eared quick. He just couldn't get enough of the word. And that's when he started finding out that the things he had been teaching that he thought were just positive thinking really were scripturally based. You know, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale was a pastor and his material came from uh, the Lord's book too. But dad had no idea that that's really where it was coming from until he got into the word himself. And when Jesus got into his heart, Daddy became someone who really had a serious drive to help other people like he had never had before. Before, he had learned how to motivate people to be able to make a lot of sales. Uh, His bent was kind of towards helping people succeed and gain financial wealth. It was after he came to know Christ that his interest became helping them have all of those things that money cannot buy. Mm-hmm. A happy marriage, a healthy home life, uh, healthy, happy children. The things that money can't buy became so much more important to him and for him to help others get and see. And he knew that that effort needed to start with their relationship with Christ, and then that would change their family life. And when their family life improved, so would their business and work life. And then they would have true success. Well, and and I do, again, so appreciate that. And as I see, uh, of course, we would never say there's a replacement for for anyone and, and not for Zig as well, but even for somebody to be uh, have the platform that he did, I, I've never seen somebody bring together the tangible realities of our earthly life and, and the needs and desires there and our faith in such a profound package because as he as you talk about there that, that he devoted himself to the things that money can't buy but he also was quick to say hey i also enjoy money it's not the most important thing but it's you know what right after oxygen i think was his pretty close to pretty oxygen. close to oxygen and yep. we are human and i appreciate that he he understood our our humanity and uh, that we do care about the bottom dollar and, and, and our bank account. And yet he used that success to draw us to serve 
others. Okay, well, I'm going to shamelessly use that real quick, Julie, as a segue okay. to, to the sponsor of our show today, which is a company that you're heavily involved with, Prime Properties Realty in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. So folks, j- just listen to this. In, in, as far as investing in property, um, this is, and Julie, you shared this with me, Dallas, Fort Worth, really hot, uh, hot place for real estate right now. And you have people across the country who are get, taking advantage of real estate there. So tell us real quick about that. And then there's a specific event that you're a part of that I want to ask about, but tell us, uh, well, first off, how did you end up doing that real quick? And then tell us a little bit about the product. All right. Well, <clears throat> I am primarily a keynote speaker. Yep. And the kind of keynote I do for nonprofits happens about six months out of the year, in the fall and in the spring. And did you know, Kevin, there are 12 months in any year? Did you know that? Well, I'm <laughs> and, glad you pointed that out. <laughs> and I would like to tell you that I enjoy having an income during all 12 of them. Yeah, yeah me not too. Not just six. So I determined that um, I wanted to get involved with my eldest daughter, Dee Dee Galindo, who is a broker uh, for, she's a broker and owner, co-owner at Prime Properties Realty. And I asked her if I could get my license, could I work with her? Because I saw what they were doing, helping people to build wealth and financial security through investments, both uh, the individuals who wanted to invest in one home at a time, and we're turn turnkey company where we handle everything. There's no question about by how much a flip is going to cost. There's you know exactly what you're getting, and it's fully operational when it comes to you. But we do commercial, multifamily, uh, also these individual houses, and and we just help people build wealth. And realtors are involved with us, bringing us investors. We have a very uh, integrity-based company that has a proven process that is unlike any other that we're familiar with. And we've looked at every one of them that comes up. People love our product and they love how we handle everything for them. So I got involved so I, w- I could be involved with Didi. And like Dad said, you know, you help other people. When you help other people get what they want, then in turn, you will have what you want, need to. So helping people build financial security and wealth is one of the things that I do. Well, and I appreciate that aspect of integrity obviously fits in right Mm -hmm. with your own personal story. Real estate investing, such a hot topic, I would say today, but I think to some degree it always has been. We can put our money in the money markets. Real estate has always been one that I've been drawn to because uh, it feels more tangible than just putting my money out there. And so, yeah, I've got some real estate investments as well. But I looked at the website, which, uh, again, folks, is DFW, like Dallas-Fort Worth, DFW, turnkey.com. And I saw some of the offerings on there. I thought, oh, I need that. I need somebody to make sure my rental house doesn't get trashed. That happened in the recent years with myself. But I think we're all looking for people that we can Trust. So for folks, anyone who's interested in real estate investing, Dallas, Fort Worth, really hot property, and you can have Julie Ziegler Norman leading you in that. So again, go to dfwturnkey.com. But uh, right now, it's actually going to happen on December 3rd, 2016 at the Ziegler headquarters. 
Julie is going to be involved in an event that's happening there called Women Can Invest in Real Estate 2. And her specific part is to be financially fearless. And again, I love it. This is your product is real estate, but you're just inspiring true performance. That's what the show is about. Um, give, give them real quick, just a little insight. The, the event is from nine to noon. So folks, you can go there, meet Julie, go to the Ziegler headquarters and just get a uh, wonderful amount of value. But the specific event, tell us real quick about it. We're going to have four of us there. My first segment is about being financially fearless. A lot of women are a little timid about getting involved with real estate because they think it takes a fortune, and it really doesn't. So we're going to start with those things, and then we will move on to have um, a commercial realtor who's with us talk to us about multifamily, and she's going to tell how to invest in, in the larger unit properties. We're also going to have Pam Goodwin with Goodwin Real Estate talk about commercial developments where strip centers and individual box stores and food. I mean, these are big opportunities that women just traditionally don't see themselves in. But I want you to know that women's money works just the same as men's. Well, so, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Didi, who is going to speak with us about our residential real estate investments, the homes like you saw on the yep. website, yep. she's going to explain how our turnkey system works so that the individual investing never has to take any calls on their property. They just get their rent payments when they come, and uh, we just, we're, we're going to tell them how they can become involved in investment real estate for uh, not a whole lot of money but that they can begin to build the wealth they need for the security they want down the road. No matter, Kevin, what the economic climate is, if things go south, rental properties do better and have more security than they do in other years. Mm -hmm. But real estate is one of the few things where you can actually build through equity your wealth as you go and still have income and write-offs you know, on the way. So it's a great opportunity, not just for women, but men is we, we will, we will also work with men. You'll let some guys <laughs> in. All right. Well, thank you. so folks, again, go to it's dfwturnkey.com uh, where anybody interested in real estate investing, uh, go there, talk to someone you trust, talk to Julie. Uh, so connect with them there. But then again, this event, women can invest in real estate too, where Julie's going to be having a section be financially fearless, uh, which you'll get some of the best of Julie Ziegler Norman uh, again, December 3rd at Ziegler headquarters, nine to noon dfwturnkey.com And again, their company is prime properties realty. Well, Hey, on that note of uh, real estate. So this is a great story from you. You said Sunday afternoons as a kid were spent looking at land to buy. There'd we, yes. there we'd stand among the tall swaying pines, listening to mom and dad discuss where on this particular piece of land they'd build the house, put the pool, and build the horse barn. Just as soon as dad became the success, he knew he could be. Well, I, I love that. I mean, my my own father uh, emulated that as well, Julie. And you even said, you know, my father was a dreamer, but more importantly, he was a doer. He knew full well that he would have to do to achieve his dreams. First, he'd have to become the kind of person who could succeed and maintain his success. So I resonate with that so much. 
Uh, I would claim the same thing about myself as far as being a, a dreamer and a doer. And, and though I've achieved great fruit from those dreams and some of those doings, Julie, I've also had past experience where it was it was somewhat hard on my family, especially my wife, where I was shooting for the stars. And if yeah. I, I was stoked if I just hit the next ridge over, I mean, I'm further than I was. But my wife had bought in and she, she was expecting the stars, you know, and sometimes had a hard time when we only hit the ridge. We had to work through that. And I wondered in that, that it, it, it I, I love the premise, but was it sometimes hard on your mom or any of you kids where he was always dreaming, always shooting for the next star? <laughs> well, part of that dreaming involved, and I'm sure you've heard Dad say this on his audio about always seeing the grass was greener and he had 17 different deals and mm-hmm. I don't know, just a very short period of time. So that was hard on mom because it, it required a move. And I guess it was also the hardest on my oldest sister because mm-hmm. she had to change schools each time we would move to a new city. But by the time I was in old enough to really be aware of all that was going on, he had become steady with his cookware sales and we weren't moving as much. But years later, my sister told me, my oldest sister, Susie, that daddy talked about that, that house in that pool for so many years that she thought it was never going to happen. She had given up on that. It would happen because it didn't happen until she was 19, but she, he was always talking about it before that. So for her, it created a bit of a, a trust issue. Um, And then, of course, he became everything that he had always sought to be as far as having that uh, financial stability that he had always wanted for our family. And she saw those things come to pass, and she would laugh about it and say, you know, it just took longer than a child's mind could fathom. Children don't understand time like adults do. And I think that's kind of what you were saying about your wife as far as the stars not being the ridge or the ridge not being the stars. But for me, no, I just always knew that daddy was going to do what he said. Wasn't sure when we still don't have the hat. Well, we didn't live in the house with the pine trees. Daddy eventually got a lake house that had pine trees around it that we all enjoyed for, Oh, a couple of decades. But yeah, no, I think I would much rather have a dad who, who talks with hope and anticipation uh, with great expectations for what's to come, which I just want to tell you in here, Kevin, I want to share this with the audience because they need to know how deeply ingrained my father's vision was for the next great thing in his life. When dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I was in the room when the doctor had finished all of her testing and dad and mom were sitting in the chairs in front of her desk. And the doctor said, Mr. Ziegler, I'm so sorry to tell you, you have Alzheimer's. And dad just kind of shook his head. He said, "Mm, mm, mm." and then he spread his arms wide and he said, you know, it's kind of hard to think of all of this coming to pass. And he was talking about his speaking and his career. And then he looked at that that doctor and he started pointing his finger at her and he said, but you know, he said, I can't help but get excited when I 
think about what lies ahead. Did you know that my Savior has gone ahead of me to prepare a place that is so magnificent, I can't even imagine it? Immediately, his thoughts went to what's the next great thing for me? What's happening next? And that's what he saw was his eternity in that moment and and how great it was going to be. And he never changed course. That's, um, well, folks, I don't know if you can hear a better testimonial than that right there. Well, so, Julie, I want to ask you, I mean, you're Mm -hmm. a speaker, a presenter, a trainer, a consultant, an author. I mean, you're building, you have been building your own legacy. And as you talked about today, you're working with people in that arena, working with nonprofits, helping people build uh, wealth through real estate. Um, but I want to ask you about a quote. This is, this is from you. You said your most often overlooked asset, the very thing that makes everything you want to be, do, or have possible is you. You are the one person you can count on every time. You are the only one who can use your ability. You are in control of you. So it's interesting. So we're sitting here recording the day after the 2016 presidential election, which we'd have to say is it's got to be at the top of the list of the most volatile presidential election ever. And uh, I posted to my family uh, yesterday morning this quote from Dr. Joseph Mercola. He said, regardless of who wins the presidency, the presidency today, realize that your power as an individual lies in your day to day decisions right in line with the quote that I just read from you. Well, so from a faith-based standpoint, I mean, it's, it's stating that you are in control is a controversial statement, but you didn't say that. You said you are in control of you. And on one right. hand, I, I want to take that as empowering, but I, I know that you know this and working with so many people can also feel overwhelmingly daunting to realize that I am fully responsible for myself. So on one hand, there should be freedom in that. On the other hand, that's really weighty. Uh, help us, yes. help us reconcile that a little bit, Julie. <laughs> Until we own that responsibility, Kevin, we are victims in this life and we try and put stuff off on everybody else's actions, the things that are out. There are things that happen to us that are out of our control the way we respond to those things is within our control. Some of us have learned through trial and error that it's best not to say anything until you are in control because sometimes we get so wrapped up in the drama of the moment that the things we say might be so destructive to others and ourselves that it's best not to say them. Uh, One thing my father taught me early on by example was if you don't know how to respond or what to say, say, I'm going to have to get back to you on this. I need some time to think about it. Uh, As far as the dawning part, I believe learning that we are in control and how to make the better choices is a process. I believe that every negative choice we make that brings us a negative consequence teaches us a little bit more about what we don't want to happen in our lives, and it enables us to make choices that help us avoid the hurtful, harmful, or negative things in the future. 
And it's by process of elimination that we finally mature to a place where we just go, oh, I don't want to do that again because <laughs> yeah. you've had the experience and it wasn't good. That is when we come to the place of reckoning. It's when, when I quit smoking, Kevin, I had to keep reminding myself that I was the one who wanted to quit. Nobody else was forcing me. I was doing it because I needed to. I wanted to, but you would have thought the way I would start, stop, sneak around, smoke for months, nobody not know that I was doing it again. It was just ridiculous, the mind games that I played trying to get out of that habit. And then finally I hit on the fact that I was the one who wanted to quit. Nobody was making me. And I accepted that responsibility but I also figured out that I needed more help than I could give myself. So I put masking, not masking tape, duct tape around the pack of cigarettes I was smoking. And I wrote, God, and I can do this mm. on it. Cousin told me this, this way to do it. And I promised myself if I wanted a cigarette, I had them right there. But I had to go th- get it out of that pack. And I had to go through God to get to it. Because mm. I knew I didn't have the strength to resist on my own. And if I wanted that cigarette and I went to get that pack and I saw that God and I can do this, I would remember to call on his strength and his power. So when I say you're in control of you, you are, and you know where you need to go to get the power that you need to do the things that you have trouble doing. Okay, well, that's a great quote right there. I'm actually putting down the uh, timeline on that so I can come back to that one. Thank you for that. Folks, I I would highly encourage you, go to Ziggler.com and get the book and and hear about this. These are the kind of stories. This is why I was excited about doing this show today because uh, it's it's easy to discount people who we think are superhuman. Hearing hearing some real stuff about uh, Zig, his parenting, Julie's experience, her own trials – and this aspect of uh, it's a great overcoming story, obviously, but it's real, and I think we can all relate to it to a point. I, I want to ask you about something that's that's from an actionable standpoint for folks, but I think it's a it's a big deal. It's what we often come back with as we're all seeking personal development and self improvement, and I'm going to package it around the aspect of how to do it. It's got to be authentically you. So this is your story. Uh, Julie, you said a well-meaning friend of mine upon hearing that I was going to be speaking on the big get motivated seminar platform with my father and with the likes of Rudy Giuliani, first lady, Laura Bush, president, George Bush, Goldie Hawn, Sarah Powell, and, uh, to name a few exclaimed, Oh my gosh, this is great. You need to get out your dad's old videos and watch how he moves, memorize his gestures, do what he did on stage, get down on one knee and point, dangle your feet off the stage. That would be so cool. And he was so excited for me that I couldn't help but love his enthusiasm. But I said, friend, you may have been watching my dad, but I don't think you were listening to what he was saying. My dad has spent over 50 years trying to convince me that I am the only one who can use my ability, back to your statement before, I'm the only one who can use my ability and is my duty to be the best me I can be. Dad would feel like a failure if he thought I believed that being me wasn't enough. He'd be so sad if I or anyone settled for being a mediocre replica of him instead of being a stellar example of themselves. 
I love that story. I want to pull out something that is I, I not a, it's not a challenge, but it's just a relevant issue that I'm going to ask you to to help us uh, work through. I mean, on one hand, of course, we would say we need to model success. I mean, that was a primary part of Zig's teaching that these are principles of success, foundations of success that, that we need to model. And on the but amongst that, we also need to have our own voice. So I. As I was grappling with this a little bit, Julia, I was thinking it's, it sounds like a balance of the uh, between mechanics versus style and flavor. I mean, with Zig, we need to model some of his. Okay, if we're gonna just like Toastmasters, if we're gonna deliver a message verbally or on the stage, there are some foundational skills that we need to emulate, and he'd be a great one to model. But we don't need to go up there and talk with Zig's accent or use his <laughs> jokes or even copy his antics. So uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Um, <laughs> about that tension between our own authentic voice and yet there are foundational principles. Oh, well, you know, even dad, uh, if you're a speaker and you're exposed to other speakers, we're all in danger of maybe not remembering where we heard something. Mm -hmm. Some of us even think we came up and this is innocent. I mean, think we came up with it ourselves and then find out later. No, somebody else said that poor daddy is quoted so much that he gets credit for other people's quotes that he didn't say. I know which ones they are, (laughs) but um, there's so many of them now because he's just quoted. We're blessed that he's quoted so much. He had so many great ones. But the thing is, is if you watch other people, it's human nature to compare your abilities to theirs and our, they're just not they're just not the same for my brother Tom who is uh, more of a soft-spoken laid-back guy compared to my dad for him to go rearing out there and acting you know trying to be like daddy everybody would know that was out of character for him I am so uh, proud of him for being able to just genuinely be himself. Uh, but all of us do need, if we're going to be speaking on the platform, mm-hmm. to learn the proper way to present. And that is has nothing to do with you not being you. It has to do with the fact that, you know, all right, so don't put your hand in your pocket and jiggle your change because that irritates people. They're distracted by what you're doing. They don't hear what you're saying. There are certain uh, ways to go about anything well. But when you go out and try to be somebody else, it, it, it will fall flat every time. Uh, one of the things that I see people do a lot is they'll tell a story as if it's about someone else. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it ends up being about them. Very few people are able to carry that off without everybody figured it out in advance. Um, I recommend that people don't do it because it is so hard to do well, unless they're like Toastmaster experts. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, that the if you can't be yourself and be comfortable being yourself, and a big part of that is you have to be willing to be transparent and share your own stories, Kevin. Uh, You can't just go around and read everybody else's book and then quote stories from this guy and this guy and that guy. People want to hear how you yourself have dealt with circumstances. They want to hear your personal stories. They want to hear 
your special voice inflection. And if you're not a real high energy person, then don't come running out there gangbusters and try and keep up something you're not for the next 45 minutes. But if you are, just be who you are. Being, being yourself is always going to sell. Uh, there, Quiet, there's a motivated. book. There's, there's your next book title right there, Julie. Being yourself is always going to sell. I'm writing that down. If you don't write that, I'm going to do it. <laughs> being yourself is always going to sell. Love it. Uh, I love it. Well, okay. So, and folks, again, you can go get more involved with Julie at juliezigglernorman.com. Uh, you can get her book on the Ziegler website. And this is, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this again. I actually put some markers down for myself on this for some things I want other folks close to me to listen to. I'm so, so grateful for your sharing your heart here. I do want to ask uh, one more, one more thing. I know that your primary topics uh, you know, confidence and honesty, and you've talked about them over and over today, but on this aspect of confidence is where I want us to end on today. You said, uh, I've experienced confidence and on occasion, I still experience a lack of confidence. The truth about confidence is that it is a process. We all have areas of great competence and confidence. Uh, but if we're lifetime learners and risk takers, we'll find ourselves occasionally revisiting the lack of confidence issue. Well, I love your statement there. I think it's a huge deal because we so often, I don't know if it's part of us, just humanity. We want to, well, I know, I guess it would be a great dream. I'd love to work for this thing and then arrive and then I'm done. Right. (laughs) And, and you're, but you're saying that if. (laughs) If we are lifetime learners and risk takers, from which to me says, if we're, if we're always pursuing progress in our lives, by proxy, we are lifetime learning and, and, and risking, then confidence will not be a place that we permanently arrive and exist. It will ebb and flow. Yes? That's right. Okay. That's right. Because when you're facing something that you haven't done before, there's always going to be that little bit of insecurity. But... The further you get into your life, the more times you have had to face that feeling of not having enough confidence. And then you learn that, you, yes, you can get you can get through it. If you're not ever feeling a little incompetent, then you aren't still growing and you aren't pushing yourself. Mm. I, I guarantee you, when I went to take my real estate exam, I was not feeling confident. <laughs> Yeah, because I had not had an exam since well in thirty years, and I had studied. I felt that I had prepared well, but I had heard that many many people have to take that test twice, and boy, I didn't want to have to do that. But I knew that I had done all I could, and so I went. I went in and just did the best I could. There was no fear because I was prepared. That's what gets your incompetence taken care of is when you do your homework, then you're able to step forward. Some some stuff, you just don't know what you're going to experience until you actually do it. I know a lot of people feel that fear before they get on the stage the first time in front of a big audience. Um, Yes. Well, would you, so in some senses though, what I hear you saying is, okay, your confidence 
is going to, well, I love that. If you, if you don't sometimes feel incompetent, you said you aren't growing much. So, but would you say that over time though, as you pursue new things, as you do grow and learn and risk and become comfortable with that, that you can gain a faith that exists, a faith that if I go forward with this, even though my confidence is waning, even though I may feel incompetent right now, I have faith that I will get through that. And that helps us to be able to deal with the reality that we can't always feel confident. Let me share with you, Kevin, one of the most important things I've ever learned. And I had my pastor, Gene Smith, taught me this, and I find that it is true. He said, Julie, you don't have to worry what God's purpose for your life is. He is quite big enough to put it right in front of you. What you need to be concerned with is, are you going to be available, willing, and obedient to do what he's put in front of you to do? And what I've discovered in my life is that God put stuff in front of me to do that I would never expect to be asked to do. And I've learned it's because he wants all the credit for my ability to do it. And that's exactly what happened when I, who had been editing Daddy's books in the corner of my house for 15, 16 years at the time, was asked to go speak with him and interview him on these big Get Motivated platforms. The very first audience I was in front of was 18,000 people. The second and third audiences were over 20,000 people the same day. You know, that was, I just had been willing to do what had been put in front of me to do. God gave me the ability to do it. I was not afraid because I didn't think about it. Uh, That's some of those thoughts I've learned to take captive. I won't participate in that kind of fearful thinking. I knew I was going on stage with my father. We'd be together that gave me a degree of security. I didn't know then that God was preparing me to continue to speak without him Mm. down, you know, further on in the future. But I would never have thought about speaking publicly for any reason. It just didn't occur to me. It never occurred to Tom until we were actually put in that position. But what we do know is we were available and willing and obedient to do what was put in front of us. A lot of people don't see the things that are put right in front of them because they think they have to use the gifts they know they have. They don't see that they have gifts that haven't been drawn out yet. Wow. Uh, You are uh, a gift to, to listen to and to learn from. Julie, thank you so much. Yeah, I can't believe it took us two years to do this. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kevin. For being on here today, for sharing. We're going to have to do this uh, again. And, uh, and is your website, is that the best? Because I, I feel like people are going to hear this and be touched by a lot of what you shared and what you offered. Is your website the best place to connect with you, juliezigglernorman.com? Yes, there is a there is a connection there. Or they can just email me at julie at juliezigglernorman.com. Okay. okay. Either way will work. Well, I'm folks, happy to talk with anyone. Well, thank you. Thank you for the gift of continuing the legacy of your dad and uh, having your own voice within that as well, Julie. Just an honor to do this with you. Uh, thank you immensely. 
Thank you, Kevin. Have a great day. Folks, thanks for tuning in to The Ziggler Show, where we get to inspire our true performance together. We'll talk with you in the next show.